Freediver and crypto warrior Anton Mozgovoy. We learn about his backstory, how we first got into crypto, why he's a big fan of Ethereum and DeFi, and get his take on some recent crypto current events. We also discuss his tenure at Humanique, where he was the former CTO working to bank the unbanked. We also touch on his involvement with the WeWork FinTech Blockchain Labs, where he's currently an advisor. And we talk about his new position, where he is the head of product at Shapetherium. This was a really interesting conversation all around, and Josh and I learned a lot. You're about to learn how to make smart contracts on Ethereum without knowing Solidity, on the dark side of the hollow moon. Brought to you by Spectacoin. Spectacoin is a proof of anonymous state coin. So it's got ring signatures, it's got stealth addresses, it's got Tor obfuscation already built in. And like I mentioned, it's a staking coin. So this is a passive income coin. If you just hold and stake, you receive more coins. It is ultra secure, ultra private, your financial privacy is at stake like bitcoin but private like monero but with staking spectreproject.io dark side of the hollow moon proudly uses the audio services of eye of the sound beyond the amazing sound production they've really been a sounding board pun intended for our show giving us great customer support and constructive criticism and feedback. So if you want a little bit more personalized attention you're not going to get from a bigger provider, check out ithesound.com. All right, and we're back with another episode of Dark Side of the Hollow Moon. Josh, how are you doing today? All right, Cade, bright and early for me in South Korea, early in the evening for you, I guess, in U.S., yeah, are you uh, still holed up in your apartment with uh, the coronavirus situation, or what's going on there? Yeah, actually, we're all still kind of advised to stay inside. I mean, thousands of people have got this coronavirus. Well, only, well, unfortunately, 50 people have died, but com- in comparison to the amount of people that have been screened, which is now nearly 200,000, only 50 have actually passed away, unfortunately. Um which is luckily in a certain sense, though. So things that seem to be tapering off, though. So I'm, I'm getting a bit more adventurous going outside, still wearing a mask, though. It's not the most fun few weeks I've had, to be honest, though. How about in the States? Any, um, any pandemic scares or people just living lives like normal? Yeah, it's, it's kind of spreading all over, but at least in my area, no one's really worried about it. You know, I've got some masks. I've got a lot of food. Of course, I've got my I'm hodling my bags of crypto and I've got some guns and ammo and some weapons. So I'm all good to go if anything pops off. But uh, <laughs> but enough about the coronavirus. Let's uh, talk about um, the crypto virus, which is what I'm infected with. And Josh, we've got a really exciting guest today, don't we? Yeah, we do. We've got someone who's got a really uh, detailed background and lots of different, really interesting projects that we'll go into and discuss. So without further ado, let's welcome Anton uh, Moskovoy to the show. Welcome, Anton. How are you doing today? 
Um, hey guys, well, I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, it's definitely a very interesting day that we live in. Um, I'll, you know, call it a Black Monday. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely been uh, an interesting day and it's going probably to escalate more. So yeah, interesting times we live in. Yeah, I mean, you're referencing now the big crash that's just happened. I went to sleep last night and people were messaging me saying, look, the FTSE is crashed, the Dow's crashed. So, and the, I was checking the Bitcoin price last night. I haven't had a chance to check it today. Also, that had gone down like to a sub 8K. So I'm not entirely sure where the markets are right now. But I imagine if, it, if that trend continued from, from yesterday evening till this morning, and probably your day, the same day today in London and in the US where you are, how has it gone? Can you fill me in in the news? Like, what's the general overview of that? Right, okay, that's um, for you. Or it's for you, Anton, actually. Go on, either of you, actually. It's both of you. Okay, go in, go in. Um, yeah, as far as the, the Black Monday, I mean, I think Bitcoin is down um, 24 hours, 5%, which is a pretty big correction. But uh, Ethereum's down 6%. But, you know... Josh, you know me, I'm a long-term hodler. I look at it long-term. Uh, there's always going to be volatility in the market, so I'm not worried. Um, I, I did think that maybe crypto would be a little would be a little bit more resilient and people would maybe get into the crypto space when uh, the traditional equities started going down. But it seems like they're kind of moving a little bit in parallel. But, you know, I think uh, long-term, I'm not really worried about it. What do you think yeah. about it, Anton? Um, I agree. I mean, um, so if you look at the, you know, at the 10 years, uh, like bond yields, you know, like in the US, um, like today, it was down by 51%, you know, and it's just like a daily drop. And I can't remember, I, and I can't remember, you know, a drop as significant as, you know, as this, like in crypto, even, you know, on the hardest days, it, it has never dropped pretty much like, you know, like half of its yield. So, you know, like half of the price, put it this way. Um, which is which is definitely you know puts crypto like somewhere differently. Of course, many people um, would consider that you know whenever gold grows, uh, you know so does the Bitcoin, and it hasn't been the case in the past uh, you know few weeks. Obviously, that uh, the gold has hit you know seven year um, high and then Bitcoin drop. But if you actually look at the you know at the like yearly trend, right? Uh, it's still, you know, it's still in the positive space uh, overall. So I think that we are, we're definitely good. And that shows really that something is institutionally different from, um, you know, the panic situation that is currently in the market and how people see and how people uh, believe in crypto and obviously long-term, you know, future of it. Yeah, man. So it's, maybe this is the time for people to be greedy when others are fearful, as Warren Buffett always likes to say. So I think if you have been holding off from filling your bags in in terms of BTC and other crypto assets, then I think this is honestly a pretty good time. I don't think it's going to get much worse. But that's my prediction for this. I think this is the bottom for 2020. And I think it's just going to be all the way up from here. Um, so let's introduce you a little bit more. I just said, hey, Anton, and didn't really give out any backstory about who you are and, and, and what you're doing. So Anton is former CTO at uh, Humanic, Human IQ, and also the former VP of technology at Human IQ. You're now the head of product at Jtherium, and we'll talk about Jtherium a bit later. And um, interesting, you work for WeWork Labs, which is a incubation startup accelerator in London, and they now focus on fintech and also blockchain projects. It's, I think it's the only place in the world where 
um, a blockchain startup is positioned with a really big company like WeWork. So we'll get into that a bit later. So Anton, before we um, go into those questions, we always like to talk to our guest about a bit of the backstory and, you know, who is Anton? Where did you grow up? Some of your life's influences and what did you go to school and what was your background in terms of that? And then what first got you into crypto? So you can take it from wherever you want. Right, right. Um, well, thanks. Thanks, Josh. So um, I was born in Ukraine um, and it's definitely the country that hasn't been much in the news as it was recently. Um, so I was I was actually born in, in the place where, you know, we didn't really we didn't really care about, uh, you know, technology or, you know, even money at that time. So, you know, you've got some bunch of leaves and that's that's your currency, um, though, you know, like early on, um, I was you know, I got interested in, in tech. So I got interested in computers and, um, you know, I ended up finishing um, high school, which is like a specialized high school. It's called like Lyceums. Um, so over there in the eastern part of uh, Europe. Um, and I got, well, it was, it was specializing this Lyceum in, in computer technology, so in computer science. Um, so interest, well, interesting enough, I graduated uh, from the high school at the age of 15. And um, it's, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit too early. So um, all major universities uh, abroad, they wanted to have, um, they, well, I, I wasn't legally able to sign any documents. So say I want to sign up for, you know, a gym or anything, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do so. So they wanted me to have a garden on me that would be able to legally sign papers for me. Um, so that's why my choice of, uh, you know, universities was uh, limited. Um, nevertheless, that, that, that's how life brought me to um, Toronto, Canada. And that's where I started studying again, uh, or, or say continued studying uh, computer engineering. Um, and uh, yeah, so my life to crypto is, is even more obscure and not linear because uh, initially uh, my first, uh, I think, I, again, I remember I first heard about Bitcoin probably early 2012. And it was like, yeah, you know, some some cool things like whatever. I mean, they, they come and then they go, they, you know, they're here and then there and then they will die. Um, and I didn't really take it seriously, probably up until um, 2015. It wasn't even, you know, the Bitcoin, it was Ethereum. So um, I remember the day when I when I sort of like seriously started considering um, this this thing. And it was uh, when the Bitcoin was uh, probably still under around $300 um, US dollars. So obviously not, you know, not as it was in, uh, in 2012, but uh, still. So um, what got me interested is Ethereum. Um, so being in Toronto, being in Canada, um, I would say I was a bit close to the beginning of what was called the Ethereum community. Um, still remember uh, William Mogire uh, organizing, you know, local meetups uh, in Toronto. And um, to me, that sounded like a way different concept of, uh, you know, Bitcoin initially. So I obviously didn't, didn't understand much. So that's that interest in Ethereum and, and its community. That what got me more and deeper and deeper into how things actually work and what you could build with it. Um, and it wasn't up until further um, that I got really, really involved, uh, you know, with um, I would say, uh, you know, with with uh, with crypto and then you know with blockchain. Uh, probably around 2016, that's when I started, um, you know, building my call it, you know, pet projects. That's when I actually started, uh, you know, building out first, uh, you know, contracts there just to see how um, how things work and what you can do. Um, I got involved heavily or say, you know, 100% of full time in DeFi uh, at the beginning of 2017 uh, when uh, Humanique started itself. Uh, but, you know, we're going to talk about that probably in a bit. 
Um, so I would say that um, if you actually look at my uh, like life path, it was sort of, sort of like always in between, uh, you know, finance and technology. And I think that, um, again, you know, blockchain, uh, it obviously is going to affect all, you know, um, just all ways of our life, you know, all pretty much, you know, everything that you can think of, everything that you're touching, everything that you're doing is going to be affected by it, you know, uh, like, you know, sooner or later. Uh, but if you look at the very first and the biggest use case, obviously, finance, um, if you look at my path, finance and technology, that's probably how uh, I was more affected by this virus. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's a good joke now, uh, but that I think, that, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's definitely uh, a life-changing choice. Um, and so far, so good. I'm really happy um, that I actually did make that transition. Uh, but to me, it didn't feel like a transition at that moment of time. It really felt like just a new stage of life, like a new technology, and we just had to find a good way to use it. Yeah, well, if you're into technology and finance, DeFi is a good place to be. So when you went to Toronto, you said you were only 15. Did you wait to go to university or did you have a guardian go with you? Um, so I, I had a garden on paper, uh, obviously, but, uh, you know, off the record, of course, gardening was with me all the time and, uh, you know, that was it. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, we, we all know, um, that, it, you know, things could slightly not work out in the way they should be. So yes, um, that's pretty much, I just had to spend like a year, uh, you know, just asking a different person sign, you know, to sign papers for me. And the reason why I'm saying this, you know, kind of funny situation about the gym, because it actually happened. Um, to me, so it was the gym, uh, you know, at the college. So it was, you know, it was there, right? So I like, I, I live, you know, just across the road, and and you know, in the college residence, and it's a college gym, and and I'm a student, and I still can't go in there, I, you know, until I sign, obviously, you know, all the safety um, kind of like papers there, and I wasn't able to sign them, um, which which was quite funny. Uh, they even, you know, like they have uh, student cards, obviously, and then they put like a specific uh, like kind of sign. And I remember it was like a green circle um, saying something that obviously like whenever it'd be like a, a college official or anything, they would know uh, I'm, you know, I'm as a minor age, which is quite hilarious. So I had to have it for like one year uh, until my next birthday to actually, you know, kind of proudly take it off. That's annoying. You got to get permissions for everything. It needs to be permissioned. That's why you must like crypto and blockchain because it's permissionless. You can do what you want. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely quite interesting because you know it, it that's that's the you know that's the situation about you know the tech. So it's uh, you know a very uh, I mean uh, think about this. Where else? I mean, if it would be like just investment banking, or if it would be I don't know like um, like oil business, would anybody ever consider uh, Vitalik seriously if it wasn't for the tech? If it wasn't for the ideas, right? That that uh, are brought up with this technology. Which, which is an amazing place because, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, how old are you, how do you look, all what matters is your ideas and how you put them in place. Definitely. And uh, why were you going to the gym? Were you a big cardio guy or were you just getting buff while you were uh, doing your computer science stuff? <laughs> um, it's it's quite funny. I mean, obviously, there's like this image, right, of, uh, you know, like computer nerds and everything. But uh, I think... Um, but I, I was, you know, I was, um, I wouldn't say like I'm, a, you know, really, really um, sporty, but I was involved in sports all the time. Um, so to me, it felt like, you know, hey, so I, I just moved to, um, you know, Canada. And obviously, um, there's so many temptations in terms of the food. And the food isn't always, you know, the best one out there, obviously. 
Um, so, you know, age would, uh, <laughs> um, age would fit at all, but, uh, still, so wanted to stay, uh, in shape, uh, not the round shape. So something else, right. Yeah. So that's why I did, yeah, did, did want to go to the gym. Nice. And I, and I read somewhere, are you an avid free driver? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's my passion. I wouldn't say that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still very interested, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously, uh, not doing it, you know, very, very actively. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's I, more. I, Oh, I took wow. a beginner. I took a beginner course in Cambodia, but uh, I'm just curious. Just one question: How long can you hold your breath? So now I'm not sure. The longest one I I, I did uh, when I was actually training was uh, a bit more than like four minutes. Uh, but wow. that's um, it's no, it's it sounds it sounds like amazing. But then here's the thing that I've learned: it's actually almost like every every person. Um, you know, with, uh, just like just half a day training out there, uh, you know, breathing techniques and just like relaxing, actually, um, preparing your body to do that. You can easily go up to three minutes. So like three wow, minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. So that's the, you know, of apnoid, that's definitely that. Is uh, that you know, just in a pool or are you actually in the ocean holding it for four minutes? Cause that's even more impressive. Uh, it's it's a bit different right so um the idea of apnoe like static it's called static apnoe is uh something you, you need to be like totally relaxed because uh any movement of your body just trying to you know uh rebalance yourself or trying not to like you know float away or whatever is you know is eating up it's consuming your energy and you know energy consumes up your um, oxygen so um if if it's you know if it's in the pool so all of the competitions are actually done in the pool uh, and it's, you know, uh, it's a bit warmer than like a typical, uh, Olympic swimming pool. And they all wear like, you know, hydro costumes just to keep, you know, self warm so that you don't really actually do anything. So if you think about it, it's the laziest, uh, you know, uh, type of sport out there, right? So you just hold your breath and then you actually try to not to think about anything or, you know, think about something uh, really, really, um, uh, like pleasurable because um, after you know after some time you get those what uh, it's called contractions um so that's when your body is trying to um you know actually make a breath so you're you know you're you're actually trying to breathe and you're manually stopping your body from doing that so it's it's something that is not annoying at the very beginning but the longer you uh -huh. try to hold your breath the more annoying and the more painful right it becomes so that's uh, there's a lot of you know different people but um i had a had an opportunity so um there's a russian lady it's called um she's she, her name is uh, natalia molchanova and um she's uh, she's like a legendary free diver there in the world um so she passed away i think it's been uh, it's definitely been several years now but uh, when she was still alive i had a chance uh, to be at her training course uh, in, in egypt uh, the hub so that that one was amazing because I think her world. Uh, so I think she still holds the record. I may be wrong. I um, haven't checked in a while, but uh, she did it. Uh, she did like almost nine minutes. I think it was like eight minutes something. Um, so that's you know my four wow. minutes. It's just yeah. It's just like a just. What about <laughs> David Blaine? Didn't he do like fifteen minutes? And was that a fake? What do you think was going on there? Was there some kind no, of illusion no. going on? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. So the thing is, is that uh, if you actually look into his videos, um, he and there's a different, um, you know, it, it's a completely like different uh, type of uh, uh, static apnoe because uh, what he did is that before, prior to his, uh, you know, call it a dive, um, he was breathing pure oxygen for like half an hour. So what it happens is that, um, you know, if you breathe normal air, right, the percentage of the oxygen in the normal air is like, what, 22% or something? And he was breathing like pure 100% oxygen for like half an hour. So what it does to your body is that, you know, it uh, pretty much 
well, it's not just, you know, cleans it up everybody, but then you infuse it with oxygen. So then you can keep your breath for much, much, much longer. Um, and uh, so he's he's not like a, even a record holder. There's an official um, competition when people do that. And, uh, you know, you can Google it up. So that's when they actually breathe like pure oxygen before um, their dive. And uh, I think the world record is almost it's close to 30 minutes. Um, that's uh, that's crazy. That's insane. OK, um, right. Yeah, got but, it. That well, that's sense. cool. You can you can uh, train your body to hold your breath. Uh, Josh, you know what I've trained my body to do? <laughs> Go on, Kate. Tell I've me. Trained, I've trained my body to hold crypto forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. <laughs> so so that was really interesting about free diving. But let's get into some of the crypto stuff now. Josh, do you want to fire off the first question? Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you explained how you first got into crypto. It was 2015 when you first really started to delve deep in it when it came to Ethereum. So that's you've been around for quite a long time. So let's talk about some of the um, first projects in crypto that you worked on professionally. So Human IQ, Humanic, how would you like to call it? I, I used to call it Humanic. Some people used to call it Human IQ. What was the right way around the office or what did the people in the company refer to it as? I think I think we split it. Um, you know, we were split by fifty-fifty. Um, so Humanic, um, I call it myself uh, Humanic. Um, it you know it operates in Africa, and Africa is mostly split between English and French-speaking countries. Um, so be- besides, there's tons and tons, tons of more languages out there. And uh, here's a funny you know quirk. Um, so a difference between English and French is the way you know where you would actually put your emphasis, right? And the you know how you pronounce the words. So some uh, of our users were calling it uh, Cubanic. Some of it were calling Humanique, um, which which is just you know an interesting uh, thing out there. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, I've again I've heard a lot of different variations, and it's definitely it's the combination of human and IQ. Um, but uh, yeah, myself I'd call it Cubanic or Humanic. All right, cool. So you, you had two really quite important roles there. You initially. Um, well, I, can't, I don't know. I can't remember the order, but you were both the CTO at one point and also the VP of technology. So which one was first and how how do those two roles differ? And did you like evolve into the other role? Like, how did that work? Yeah, so it's um, it's quite interesting. So to me, the roles in um, in a startup are um, are something um, intangible. So they're a bit ephemeral. Um, so obviously they are a representation of what you are responsible for. Um, but they also, you know, they can mean absolutely nothing. I mean, I've seen people and they would have a title like chief, you know, like magician officer, right? Um, just for the matter of a joke. Um, and, you know, obviously that's, that's not a good way to uh, position yourself. But um, to me, a CDO is the person um, and that that what I was really responsible for actually building um, and, you know, maintaining the product. Um, when we started, we, we had an idea uh, and we had an execution plan. Uh, but as we started, you know, growing, as we started uh, going through that execution plan, um, there was a lot and a lot of, uh, you know, unknown obstacles. There was a lot of um, issues that we were facing. Uh, one of the biggest, uh, I would say, uh, it's really hard to say the biggest, but one of the issues that we faced is the, you know, facial recognition bias. Um, all of the training models that you have for facial recognition are mostly, um, you know, like predominantly uh, white male, uh, you know, uh, people. And uh, obviously, that didn't really fit the role of, uh, you know, the users that we were really focusing on. So we had a lot of issues of trying to perfect, um, you know, uh, our training models out there. Um, and uh, 
later later in the day uh, when we actually scaled up and when we grew um, I started focusing more on uh, rather than on actual like on hands uh, architecture and building of the uh, you know of the platform to strategic decisions and uh, investor relations and obviously uh, more of a you know strategic partnerships uh, and that's why uh, we decided that there's a better person uh, in our team so it was a, an in-house decision that should be now more focusing on the architecture side of things which would be the CTO um, and it's uh, it's quite interesting but the the, the guy um, the the CTO of Humanic uh, and he still currently is his name is Anton as well um, so. Um, to a lot of people, that sounded like, oh, all right, okay, so there's uh, there's now two Antons. So there's one Anton, now there's two Antons. There was Anton that was CTO then, and there's Anton that's CTO now. Uh, but uh, yeah, so later in the day, I switched to the role that would represent more that I'm uh, you know, still involved in technology, but I'm also looking more into the business side of things. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. That's good. So um, I read that it had up to 500,000 users at one, at one point, um, and it's kind of honestly fallen off the map a little bit. Do you have any idea what happened there? How did you grow so large? And then what happened? So what's going on right now? And is it still in development? What's going on? Um, so when again, when we started, we had an idea of uh, and we had a plan of growing as fast as possible. So we were using uh, pretty much all possible and you know impossible techniques to make sure that we can maintain uh, maintain that huge speed of like you know huge speed of growth. Um, so at, at some point we were onboarding again, uh, like literally uh, at that time, right in crypto and especially in, uh, for social good space, there was uh, something you know obviously um, not new in in the overall tech space, but in crypto space definitely. Um, so we were onboarding, you know, tens of thousands of users every day uh, across the Africa. Um, but the, the interesting situation is that um, initial idea and the purpose of Humanique was to provide, um, you know, at least the basic um, settlement value for the unbanked users. Um, so not the ones who, uh, again, don't have like a bank account or don't have a credit card. Uh, it goes beyond that. It was uh, it was actually to make sure that people who are still based in you know cash based societies and that's where they live would have an opportunity to become a part of the global ecosystem, right? So to become uh, you know have an opportunity to become remote workers and be paid remotely, uh, or even to transact with uh, you know a bit further than where the cash could be um, sort of like delivered. Um, and uh, obviously, Humanique evolved uh, a lot ever since that initial idea. Um, but to get to your question, uh, why we onboarded so many users, and uh, obviously, uh, at some point, we decided that's not the ultimate goal, is um, you know, onboarding users is one thing. It's, it's easy. What is hard is to provide the value. Um, and to Humanique, that, that ultimate value um, is not, you know, uh, does not... It does not correlate with uh, regular metrics. Uh, you know, you have your revenue or you have your churn rate, you know, as, as typically you would uh, uh, look into an average. Uh, average sounds like a bad thing, but it's not, right? So just like a, a, a typical SaaS product, uh, Humanique was focused on uh, building that sustainable um, social value. And that social value um, can be, uh, again, deferred in, in many different ways. And for us, ultimately, what it meant is that it meant in the number of changed lives, uh, which is which is another obscure metric. Uh, but what it actually meant is how many people were able to uh, change their life to the better 
by using our product. And what it means is that, you know, getting a job or being able to trade or being able to build the business, uh, you know, which transacts on the platform or, you know, being able to send the money, um, you know, somewhere else to their friends, relatives, etc. So that's that's how we try to count the value we uh, are creating. And uh, in order to provide the quality of that value, we had to downscale. So we had to actually go a step back and we had to make sure that we are, again, we're doing what, uh, you know, what was planned initially. Uh, so that's how gradually Humanique transformed from a simple, you know, like banking platform um, to, uh, you know, a global charity platform. Cool. I like the idea. And honestly, at the turn of the, uh, the new year, I was predicting and I think, well, I wasn't really predicting. I was saying that this is where the crypto space needs to go. It needs to go in to places where people really need cryptocurrency because obviously I live in South Korea, which is a really highly developed um, financial hub now where most people can have like no interaction with cash whatsoever. Um, you just need a credit card and the banking services are excellent already. So honestly, the use case for cryptocurrency in South Korea other than as a, like, I don't know, speculative investment, speculative instrument is not very good. It's not very high. I mean, um, it, it's, there's no real necessity, let's put it like that. But whereas in Africa or in, um, let's say, pl places like the Philippines, where it still has a high usage of cash and people with no bank accounts, that's where cryptocurrency really needs to go. That's where DeFi space is interesting. So I think it's really interesting that that was your first big project and that's what you got into in the early days. So let's make um, a next transition then into the next, uh, well, the next place that you started to work at. I don't know if it was um, immediately afterwards or you had a, a bit of time in between the two projects and um, maybe you could share if you did or, or what you did in between the projects, but let's talk about Jtherium. Um, Jtherium is a really interesting uh, project and now it's built in Java. Um, and why is Jtherium necessary, and why Java? Yeah, so um, a lot of a lot of interesting questions here. Um, so I'll I'll start. You know, I'll start from the very beginning. Um, it, it was it was a huge transition uh, from you know social good um, to still providing again good, but that it was more focused on uh, you know bringing adoption um, to blockchain. Um, so in some way, I'm still following that little path of mine, right? Just trying to get uh, you know people involved in you know in crypto. Um, to me, it was it was a hard decision, um, and the project that I initially got involved with, right, um, Humanik, so something that we started, something that was you know raised from like nothing to something, um, and and the project uh, as as we you know as we pivoted it to. Uh, were slightly different projects with uh, you know different people around it, so it was it was a tough decision, um, but it was uh, it was a time to move on. Um, so that's when I decided uh, to join a very a very small a very small uh, but you know very dynamic team at Jtherium. Um, so uh, a little just like one note here. So what Jtherium is, it sounds very familiar, like Ethereum, Jtherium. Uh, it was it was done on purpose because uh, what Jtherium does it allows. Uh, a you know any developer that codes in Java to write smart contracts for Ethereum uh, without Solidity. Um, so ultimately, there's uh, you know there's this itself removes a huge barrier 
that if you want to interact uh, well with Ethereum contracts, that's one thing. There's a lot of projects that have developed you know one layer of abstractions, so you can interact with blockchain using APIs, and then you know then it's a freedom of your choice, like what language you're using. But if you actually try to develop, right? If you're actually trying to write a smart contract, there's only one way to do that. It's uh, for Ethereum. I mean, it's Solidity. Um, and Solidity itself is is, a, is still a very young language. It has uh, you know a lot of upsides, but it also has a lot of you know quirks and features. Um, one major problem that I see with that is an absolute lack of the QA. So if you look into you know one of the most amazing projects probably that I've seen uh, Uniswap that I really really love, um, and you know when people saw you know. Um, like two contracts, right? So each of them is like a bit more than 200 lines of code. And that to crypto community was like, wow, that's that's nuts. Um, because, you know, without really, you know, a clear and proper QA process, um, you know, the guys did, uh, you know, uh, a DEX. And uh, to me, that still sounds a bit odd. You know, a 200 line worth of code is, you know, is something amazing. So that shows the power of crypto, but that shows really the weakness of the developing process. So that's where Ethereum comes in place. Um, Java is still the most popular popular programming language in the world. So if you look into, you know, if you if we step outside of our crypto bubble, which is you know a tiny tiny you know thing in the world, there's a still a huge developer community which is not included into our crypto community. So that's that's where Ethereum comes in and says, well, hey, why don't we let all of those other developers actually do something and develop, uh, you know, on blockchain? Because you know, there's there's two there's two ways you can try to drive adoption, right? One is you know speculation and money, and then high profits, uh, which is which is good. I mean, obviously, I can't say that it's bad. But another way is a bit more, um, you know, institutional. Put it this way: is trying to bring more activity more development process into blockchain. And once again, it could be done in two ways, bringing more money for the developers or bringing more opportunities. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, kind of, that's where I'm leaning towards to more opportunities. Yeah, that's nice. right. I mean, they did throw a lot of money at developers. Anyone that did like a training course in Solidity then could get a blockchain job and and the pay jump was quite a large incentive oh, yes. for many people. Oh, um, yes. But then again, like you mentioned, Solidity is not a very... Uh, well, let's say it's it's not a very mature language like Java. Java's been around for a long time. Java's um, it's still like the top one or two, depending on how you look at it, language in the world up there with, you know, Python is really up there as well. But in terms of uh, enterprises, there are tons of Java developers. So getting those Java developers to be able to build blockchain products, I mean, I think it's quite a smart move, really. Kate, sorry, yeah. I interrupted you there. Oh, no, I had a question, though. Um, obviously, I agree that JavaScript is by far the most um, popular programming language. Uh, not JavaScript, um, Java. Or, oh, Java, Java. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, but I know, like um, like you mentioned, um, Ethereum uses Solidity. Other blockchains, they use other obscure languages like Haskell and Plutus. But I think these languages, although they weren't as popular, they were chosen for a reason. They were more secure. They had other benefits. So um, with Ethereum, are you going to lose any of those benefits? Or how does it go from from Java to being used with Ethereum? How does Ethereum go from Java to having smart contracts in 
in uh, Solidity? Um, yeah, so another good point here. So all languages are built uh, for a specific purpose, right? So that's how, for instance, Golang was, uh, you know, designed and developed by by Google because they had, you know, specific needs for, um, you know, a very robust uh, binary language out there that would, uh, you know, outperform others. Um, and uh, when we when we we're talking about Ethereum, um, of course, there was an idea about, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, and call it natural, right? So natural language, um, solidity. The way Ethereum works is right now, in order to actually, uh, you know, put your code into binary, um, there's only one compiler, it's called like SolC, um, available out there. And the only way to do that is to actually compile your solidity code. So the way Ethereum works is it translates Java logic into the solidity code. So in the end, what the developer is getting is it, they're still getting a Solidity code, which is then compiled and then obviously broadcasted into the network. Um, we are looking into the ways to actually get completely rid of um, you know Solidity uh, component out there, so Solidity piece, which is not yet the case. Um, but my point here, I would say, would be is that it's probably you know as many platforms as we're going to have, even you know the well known ton now uh they also uh they also introduced their new language right um i would say that yes of course you know and and they will they will all live as long as the platforms uh where they're designed for uh live but here's the thing um the main point right of of this project is to try to drive the adoption in and it's very few people right that actually are happy or, you know, they're forced to devote their time to develop skills in that new language. Um, and, um, you know, as you've mentioned, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that the pay raise, um, if you look into the senior Java uh, developer in the market, their uh, median average salary is around $92,000 US dollars. That's in the, in the United States. And then if you look into exactly same uh, position, but for senior there's, there's no thing as senior Solidity developer. I mean, it hasn't been out there um, just for too long, but it's actually around $150,000. Um, so that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. And it does not mean in you know the difference in quality. So I would say that uh, all those projects and all those languages are going to live. It's just that we need more time for them to mature. Just like, you know, just like Josh said, right? It's just it hasn't been enough time for them to mature enough to have a really, you know, like not just very first cohort, but second, third cohort of the developers that would leave and breathe this, you know, this this language. Yeah, absolutely. And and then it's it's not this is not knocking solidity, so don't get me wrong. So I think it just makes a lot of sense that you've opened up the marketplace. I mean, the reason why the the um the salaries are so high is because there are so few people that actually know how to write proficient code in Solidity. And when it comes to Java, if you say to an average person in the street, $92,000, well, actually $92,000 for a senior developer is, is low in the United States. I mean, the United States can pay really high for some top developers, but that's just because the pool of talent for Java developers is so large. So supply and yep. demand, that's basic economics right there. So. That explains a few things. It also really can help the overall development of cryptocurrency projects by allowing people to write in Java, then compile it into something that Solidity understands. So I really understand that. It makes a lot of sense. I noticed on the website, there's only a few people listed. There's yourself and then only two others. Are you allowed to go into detail about the um, 
about the the co-founder, the the person who set this up. I think her name is Margarita. Is that right? Um, yeah. So there's uh, there's two founders. There's uh, um, so he's he's not listed there. So the founder's <laughs> name is uh, Nathaniel um, Nathaniel Colangelo, and the co-founder's name is uh, Margarita Colangelo. And uh, okay. Margarita Colangelo, yeah. So she's Margarita. Uh, Sorry about right. that, Margarita. Yeah. Margarita. Yeah. All right. Um, so she's she's uh, you know she's a very um, she's a very experienced person. So she's uh, also a co-founder at uh, the Deep Knowledge Ventures. Um, so it's a longevity fund. Um, so she's been interested in the cutting edge technology for for quite a while. Um, so she's been there with the longevity. Um, so she's obviously very very keen and interested in uh, you know in blockchain. Um, so that's uh, that's a that's an interesting combination uh, of uh, you know obviously how um, how things develop. Uh, as I've mentioned, right? So we, we don't have everyone on the on the website, but the the team itself is indeed is very very small and tiny. And that's another interesting um, concept of uh, the DeFi projects um, to see the results, um, to see the actual um, you know output of how things scale. Um, you don't need a lot of people now, uh, and that's that that also is something that excites me. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about Jtherium. It seems like it's a new project. It was started um, last summer. So you talked about getting adoption and getting more people into it. So um, is the product released? And have you seen a lot of people using it to write smart contracts um, on yep. Ethereum? Yep. So yeah. So the the product is uh, is ready and it's uh, it's out there alive. Um, so we made it free for our personal and individual usage. Uh, but where we've put all our efforts in is uh, more of an institutional, uh, I would say, side of things. So we are heavily heavily working on the B two B side of things. Um, so we're working with uh, large institutions to help them bring on you know uh, up to speed with uh, with blockchain development. Um, I would say that uh, massive, right, and then uh, ultimately the individual developers is the next big thing that uh, I would really put my hands on and uh, all my head around it. Uh, but that would be the next stage um, as to why, because I think that there's a huge gap between, you know, as as individual developers, they all understand and people may have heard about blockchain and, you know, they have all of these great opportunities to try them out. Um, the big businesses um, due to many factors, but that's you know that's where they really lag on um, kind of like being onboarded to crypto. That's that's where the main focus is. Cool. So if a, if a high school programming kid just wants to mess around, he can do it for free. But the way you're going to gain revenue is to service some businesses that might have a use for these smart contracts. Yeah, yeah. So of course, um, you know, custom features uh, and you know, custom support, and uh, there's. Uh, the biggest problem that a business is having with the blockchain right now is not the technology piece, I would say even, uh, you know, which, which is quite interesting, but it's, it's actually the business logic. Um, so you have, you have this cool thing, blockchain, and you may even um, sort of realize what it can do. And then, you know, there's a lot of tools that can help you understand what are the capabilities. The biggest question, uh, you know, to you is still is, all right, so what do I do? So how do I bring up my business logic you know, on blockchain and how do I uh, take the full leverage of it? Um, so that's still the hardest, uh, you know, part of it. And that's that's where the company is, uh, you know, is putting all the efforts in. But absolutely, yes. So I believe in, uh, I believe in, again, in, in adoption. I believe uh, that it can only happen for, you know, like free uh, products. Um, and I think that uh, if there should be, there should be an option that if you are actually looking to do something, if you're looking to become 
like a, you know, a blockchain developer, or if you're just interested in it, then there should be an opportunity for you to um, use this or that, whatever product it is. Uh, I think that's, that, again, that's one of the, it's one of the great things, right, about crypto is that um, the technology is available out there for everyone. I mean, there's, there's no excuse, right? So anybody can make a fork of, you know, an Ethereum blockchain and then, um, you know, really kind of dive deep into the EVM, um, you know, kind of like see how it works. So I, I think that's that that what really sets it apart. Um, you know, it has never really been out there in the world that just the entire, you know, uh, the entire spectrum of the technology is is all brought up with 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 an idea of being free and open to everyone. Nice, nice. So are you reaching out to businesses now or are you waiting for them to come to you? Like what would be some like example use cases you would pitch to a company that says, why would I want to do smart contracts? Like what would you tell someone who's new to the crypto space? Um, that's that's an interesting thing, um, which uh, which is I think it, um, we haven't reached those companies yet that would have uh, you know have never heard about uh, like blockchain whatsoever. I think the typical case to us would be is that uh, so hey we've uh, we've uh, you know we've heard about blockchain and uh, we sort of like we have an understanding of what's it doing and we've been looking into the Ethereum blockchain because you know it's it's the biggest programmable blockchain out there. Um, it's, you know, now we're looking into the options of how do we, you know, have this proof of concept. Um, so our message would be is that, um, well, there's a couple of ways you could do that proof of concept. One is you can bring and hire uh, external consultancy agency, uh, and you can hire external development teams, or you could, uh, you know, utilize your internal resources. Um, and as we've covered earlier, um, it's almost 100% of, uh, you know, Fortune, not just Fortune 500, but Fortune 1000 companies would have Java in their stack. Some, you know, some up to a bigger extent, some to a smaller, but then they have those, in, you know, in-house resources. Um, so the message from us is you can utilize those resources and with a very small training, um, you can help um, your developers to get on the speed with, uh, you know, blockchain development. So it isn't really that, uh, you know, we're completely getting obscured and, you know, getting away from blockchain. Um, you still need to understand how it works. You still need to understand what are the benefits, right? You still need to understand how the ledger stores the information and how it retrieves the information. So all of those things should still be, under, you know, understood uh, by the developers. But what you are yeah. getting them away from is getting to learn new things uh, like new language. Yeah. yeah, I think um, DeFi has really picked up in you know late 2019, 2020. We've actually interviewed some other people who are really into DeFi. And I think you're really well situated for when eventually, I think this is inevitable that uh, businesses are going to be looking for these kind of services like the ones that you offer with Ethereum. And you'll be well situated to uh, take advantage of it because I think we're still early in the DeFi space. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've we've seen um, there's. Um, I think that the metrics of the the, the staked uh, amount um, is is not the most correct one out there, but it definitely shows that it's been what like uh, a month maybe since we've surpassed like a uh, you know a billion uh, kind of like dollar mark out there. Um, it's growing. It's growing heavily. And here's uh, here's an interesting thing. We've, uh, you know, that billion dollar mark has been surpassed only with over collateralized loans. Now, think about what's going to happen once we'll start seeing this new projects, like this new, like completely entire like space of 
uh, non-collateralized loans. Um, I don't know who's going to solve it, but uh, you know, once it's going to you know get cracked down, we're definitely going to see things. Uh, things are going to things are going to explode, and uh, yeah, we're going to definitely get even more interest from uh, institutional players, from individual developers. Um, and probably, and I think, you know, it's going to be a great day is that once you're going to ask, um, you know, somebody random from the street is that, uh, you know, have you heard about blo- uh, like blockchain? And they're going to say, yeah, you know, the Bitcoin. Uh, well, it's, it's more than that. Yeah, it's Bitcoin. You know, it's, it's been the first one out there, uh, but there's, it's a whole new scene. All right, cool. So I think you've got really interesting and good background for your current role, which is head of product. Um, and you know, head of product and product facing roles, VP of product and product managers, they often say they're basically right in the middle of that Venn diagram of business technology and user experience. So uh, would you describe yourself as the CEO of the product? That's how many people call themselves if they're like the head of product or the VP of product. And what is it like being in that product management role um, for Jtherium, where there's that intersection of technology, business, and improving the user experience? Oh, I love it. Um, I I think that um, prod as you as as you mentioned, um, product development is um, is like you're a little entrepreneur. Um, it's it's something that you know you have to keep so many things in mind, and your stakeholders are you know ultimately like everyone you know from senior management to your users, uh, and you have your developers, which are also like your you know clients. Uh, put it this way, right? Uh, what I mean is that a product uh, manager is is a person that has to kind of j- jiggle between all of these uh, parties to make sure that things actually work. Um, and that entire thing of making sure that things do work out, I think it's it's a beautiful feeling. Uh, personally, myself, I love it. So I love when something works out. I love seeing the results. Um, I love seeing you know the traction. I love seeing the metrics. Uh, you know when charts go up, uh, there's some charts where you're you know really looking uh, them to go down, um, like cost of the user acquisition, for instance. So that's that's another good feeling. So it's. Uh, it, you know, it's definitely feeling like of a teamwork and that like orchestration is, uh, you know, is uh, something that I'm interested in. So I don't know if it could be uh, like a good advice. If uh, if you feel like you are interested in having multiple roles at the same time, if you're interested in technology design, uh, you know, marketing uh, and, you know, management all at the same time, then probably product management is really, uh, you know, where you could shine. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely... Yeah, absolutely. I'm personally really interested in it. Um, Finishing an MBA recently and also looking at different uh, projects that would really appeal to me. Product management seems like a really interesting fit. I mean, you don't necessarily have the power. You're not an authoritarian. You basically have to be an influencer within a company to get the different stakeholders to work together and align up together. So it's quite an interesting way of doing things. So that's quite fascinating. So, but you probably see this type of thing on a day-to-day basis now in the next role that we'd like to talk about, which is we work right. labs. So uh, wait, we... wait, I want I, oh. I, I got a couple more questions for Go on then, so. Kate, go on, go on. Before we go into we work right. labs, let's talk about, go ahead. All right. Anton, I uh, obviously I'm sold on Ethereum. I'm big into smart contracts and DeFi. I just want to know what areas in the DeFi space you're most excited about, or if there's any um, certain other companies that you think are really doing really good work in the DeFi space besides Jtherium. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's actually tons of great companies. Um, I think that my personal um, favorite ones out there, I'd name two, but there's there's tons of them. I really like Dharma. Um, I really like the simplicity of the approach. And I think that um, the guys grasp that um, it's just like early days of Coinbase. Um, I mean, it's it's not something ultra complicated or ultra unique, but the way they are introducing uh, you know, staking on, uh, you know, on like on blockchain and the way they're introducing uh, pretty much, you know, like savings and, uh, you know, like loans accounts out there is is amazing. Um, so I really love Dharma. And uh, the second thing is um, if you guys heard about uh, Coin, uh, well, CoinMine, so CoinMe. Um, so that's, um, you know, call it, it's just, um, it's a direct to consumer product. And what they do is they sell you uh, miners. Um, but again, the simplicity of how for an average uh, user that miner is, how simple it is just to plug it in, uh, you know, it connects to your Wi-Fi and there you go. You're, you know, you're mining some crypto out there and you have a simple app that shows you, oh, you know, you've mined this much, you know, like uh, Bitcoin. So here, you know, here it is. You can spend it, uh, you know, you can transfer it, you can sell it. Um, it's, it's not super unique or it's not super complicated again. But it really broadens up that adoption. Uh, why? Because, uh, you know, people love simple things. So people love when something just works. Uh, people love to understand how things work, right? So it's so easy, right? So I have like Dharma. So I have this account. So I put in the money in and then I just need to stake. All right. So now I'm earning the interest and then I can withdraw or I can deposit it at any time. And it's, you know, as simple as that, just like one thing that they do really, really well um, so I think that that's what makes uh, what makes uh, those products my favorite ones. Um, nice. So- and I think, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Having a good user experience is, to- is really important. And we've seen that really improve these last few years where a- average people can use it. You don't need to be super tech savvy to use these things anymore. Um, yeah, it's it's like, you know, it's like those early days. So you're getting from, uh, you know, the CLI. So you're getting from that... Uh, you know, interface um, to something that is now, you know, so easy and so simple that even a kid, uh, you know, is happy to use it. And maybe even kids grasp like it faster than the adults. Um, So that's, you know, that's the way to go. So of course, there's a whole like range of, you know, super exciting, really cool projects like algorithmic stable coins, Um, you know, just, you know, anywhere from uh, the neutral or, you know, the carbon or, uh, well, maker right so with uh with the new chai concept that they introduced not so you know a while ago there's there's a lot of cool things going on and that's the thing about crypto i think that none of the like none of the besides obviously like you know some shady scammy things um none of the things are wrong we are in that early phase that we have to experiment with the ideas we simply must explore all of the options i mean if you just take a look at like anywhere from again like from staking concept which has uh, you know which is which is still new right and it's still very very new for a lot and a lot of people out there outside of it so we just have to experiment we must and then it has to be just as you know as wild your idea sounds just go for it try it out that's the thing yeah nice. i have i have one more defi question for you related to jethereum so some people think that um, some other blockchain will overtake Ethereum. It could be Cardano, EOS. Um, there's a bunch of other ones. So have you thought about doing the same implementation for other blockchains like EOS would become GEOS? 
uh, <laughs> Cardano will become Jardano. Like, have you thought about implementing it on other blockchains, or are you really like um, fans, a big fan of Ethereum, and think it's going to uh, solve all its scaling issues? Um, so Ethereum, um, Ethereum 2.0, um, that's definitely the thing that has been flying around for, um, so long that you don't even know that, uh, you know, it's going to be true. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those like magical things now, um, to my mind, to my mind, I think that we, uh, again, we should have a right to experiment and have, um, like all of those ideas. Uh, but what I really think is that so far, um, and it's been for quite a long. Ethereum has been a dominant uh, in the space of programmable blockchains. And of those, uh, in those war of blockchains, I think um, that uh, Ethereum's positions are still the strongest ones out there. So I, I have no idea uh, if some other project would come up, and you know, it's just simply going to be like way better. Um, I'm being, you know, very realistic. And right now, in terms of Again, the number of active projects, the number of active developers, uh, the number of, uh, you know, even like active smart contracts out there. Um, just in terms of the community power, Ethereum is still the strongest one. Um, so that's that's why I'm focusing uh, all of the efforts there. Um, but it would be nice to listen to this episode, uh, you know, five years from now or even, you know, 10 years from now. And it could be very, very laughable situation that, you know, oh, you know, five years ago, this guy thought that Ethereum is going, you know, is going to win. Or it could be a completely different situation. You know, it's going to be like 10 years from now. And I'll be like, hey, guys, so remember this, you know, podcast that we did 10 years ago. I was right. You know, I was right. So either way, I think um, I think the community is still going to win. Yeah, we'll have to check in a thousand episodes from now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the big things you mentioned was staking a few times, and I think that that Ethereum 2.0 is going to have proof of stake. Proof of stake's already out there. I mean, you do already have some um, staking coins already. I'm just wondering in the future, you know, maybe in five, ten years, do you think it might be a different project? So you mentioned already Cardano. Um, I'm thinking of Cosmos and EOS. Do they still have anywhere in the future in your in your kind of in your mind in terms of roadmap do you think that there's potential for these other projects that are still early days like cosmos eos and then some of the big um let's say enterprise solutions that are aimed at big business like hedera what are your thoughts on some of those projects Ooh, um, that's that's a tough one. Um, I like Cosmos. I think that it's great, um, and I've seen a lot of uh, you know great projects that are upcoming now, um, especially on Binance chain. Um, so there's uh, there's a lot of probably you know we'll, we'll have to wait for like probably half a year now, and we'll see a lot of great developments out there. Um, in in terms of institutional things, um, you've you know Hedera. Um, so Hashgraph is is quite an interesting one. And I and and it got me interested uh, in why simply because it wasn't based on the EVM. Um, so you know, if you look at the, you know Quorum or like all of those other things that are just simply you know like really stripped kind of like apart, you know, uh, like EVM forks out there. Um, so that's you know the entire idea of uh, you know like gossiping is uh, is interesting. Um, I'm not sure about uh, those enterprise-oriented uh, networks, whether they're going to scale or not, um, honestly, don't know. Um, I think that probably they're going to 
stick within, you know, specific enterprises and, you know, purely serve their needs. Um, but it would be really, really hard um, to kind of like get other companies, um, not the smaller vendors, right? Because if you are a bigger enterprise, you have that power to literally, you know, push your smaller vendors to whatever tech stack you want them to use. Um, but to have those equal relationships, that's going to be, you know, a tough one. Um, but, you know, like once again, we're, you know, we're never going to know how things are going to look like in even, you know, like in a month. Um, so, yeah. All right. So I'll throw another question at you then based on what you've just said. So imagine you're going to start from scratch. You've got to choose either Ethereum and you mentioned you'd like a, an EVM fork like Quorum or Hyperledger Besu, or you could have another option like, let's say, for example, Cosmos. And you're trying to build a scalable solution um, from scratch, but you could have a trade-off. So it didn't need to be decentralized. You could have like, let's say, your own nodes that you were were in complete control of for consensus which one would you do as an enterprise solution which uh which avenue would you go down for enterprises um it's a it's a tough choice because um i think that probably um you know even even bitcoin um isn't really uh decentralized um if you look into where the ethereum um, you know, computing power resides. Uh, if you look at the AWS, um, you know, kind of data centers map, and then, then if you look into the Ethereum nodes map, um, those would be mostly identical because it's around 72% of all of the nodes are being hosted by, you know, AWS. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing there. Um, I, I would, I'd still go with, uh, you know, with Ethereum, uh, probably to make that, uh, you know, the reason, here's, here's my thinking. Uh, Ethereum was uh, again the first one out there, and that and that's why it had uh, you know the most advantage in terms of the time and the development. Um, so probably if we would scrap all of you know all of the information that it's currently here, and like nobody in the world would ever hear about you know like uh, Ethereum, so we're still that early on in the days, then I would still pick Ethereum because it just had more time. Um, here's you know here's another interesting thing. Um, the reason the reason I would pick Ethereum, even if like we would all know about you know Bitcoin, but now we would hold we would have all of this information and experience, right? It's just that we wouldn't have those projects around us. Um, is you know it's probably is going to be the easiest one to pitch, um, you know, because if you think like all of the other ideas were sort of like again were forked from you know that initial one. Um, so it, it, it's sort of like now it's so easy to, um, you know, pitch an idea about some, you know, crazy, um, you know, DPOS. And we've seen that crazy situation about Steemit community now, right? How uh, all of those like massive exchanges and then Tron is being um, kind of like all around it. Um, so I, I'd still I'd still stick with Ethereum. All right, cool. And you did mention Cosmos a little bit. You said it was great, and you talked about Binance Chain a little bit. What is great about Cosmos? Then? What are the features that really make it kind of stand out? Because we've never had anyone on the show yet that's gone into that in, in any depth. So even if you give us a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of thoughts, that would be good food for thought for us. Oops, I think yeah, maybe. Uh Oh yeah, you there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. So uh, first of all, I think it, it's worth mentioning, uh, you know, Cosmos Validator Economics. 
Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely, um, you know, an interesting concept out there. Um, so first of all, it's how, you know, the Cosmos system is actually designed. Um, if you look into the different things, right? So Cosmos Hub and um, Atoms. Um, so what, you know, for those of you that are uh, not, you know, not familiar with uh, the concept of um, Atoms. So Atom is the native token of the Cosmos Hub. And the core utility of Atoms is the act of, uh, you know, a staking mechanism to secure the hub as, uh, you know, deposits in the staking process. Um, so, you know, um, another interesting um, how you describe it is you can think of that Atom as a virtualized ASIC of sorts, right? To, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a best thing to describe it, but if you frame, frame it in, you know, proof of work uh, mining terms. But here's, here's what, what is really interesting um, in in Cosmos, the amounts of to- uh, like atoms, right? So tokens uh, staked towards the validator defi- defines the frequency by which the validator may propose the you know the new block, um, and you know it, it obviously has that uh, you know it, it its weight in votes to commit a block. So if you think in terms of like how that economics work, well, that gives you like a completely different perspective of. If the initial amount of atoms are being uh, distributed like naturally and as you know as uh, as transparently as possible, so there's no um, you know obviously like big whales that would have uh, a chance to accumulate like huge amounts of atoms early on in the process, then the entire idea of the validation becomes really really transparent and distributed. Um, so that's you know that's an interesting concept uh, you know in, in Cosmos. Awesome. All right. Thanks for that. That was really good uh, food for thought. I will. If you've got any recommendations for some Cosmos guys to come on and, uh, this show and talk about that a little bit more, that'd be awesome. So let's transition now into the final thing, which would be to talk about WeWork and WeWork Lab. So I know that you're one of the, I think, a technical advisor or you're one of the guys working there um, in London. So yep, let's mental. have let's have a discussion about what WeWork Lab is. So what exactly is WeWork Lab? Um, so WeWork Lab is a, is a global initiative uh, of WeWork uh, where they try to bring in um, young startups and even young founders without the startup uh, just yet um, to help them uh, and accelerate them um, and get them prepared for you know a real world. So if you think it's just a big acceleration program, which has its own benefits, uh, not to mention huge uh, perks from uh, the WeWork partners, um, but also, uh, WeWork is not taking any equity, uh, you know, in that acceleration process. Um, and um, you know, where where was uh, invited to be a mentor uh, in WeWork fintech labs, and specifically uh, like blockchain part of it. Uh, and blockchain labs um, is is now only based out of London, so it's only those local London um, old startups um, that that can participate in the program. Uh, but I think they're obviously going to expand in it. Um, because uh, the amount of great ideas, the amount of great projects that I've seen there, not only in crypto space, like overall fintech, um, I think that once again, we are definitely going to see the next wave of those, uh, you know, crazy good ideas um, if, if they, you know, if they actually uh, surpass that validation phase and they, they prove that they're uh, livable. That's really interesting because that, normally in an accelerator or an incubator startup um, programs, they will exchange 
some cash and let's say some knowledge with a program which is designed to be let's say a fast track in in startup crash course uh, but in exchange for equity so we work instead is saying look no equity we're just going to give you the space and some of the expertise and knowledge but please like remember us in the future if you do become successful stay around and help evolve our ecosystem is that the kind of the ethos behind it um, it is. It's definitely, a, 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 I would say, a global and it's a future-looking um, strategy. Um, so it's uh, in no way any short-term strategy. It's a long-term strategy. And I think it's, uh, it's, go- it's going to play well for, um, you know, for WeWork um, in terms of growing um, that startup ecosystem around them. Uh, because you know startups they're young uh, and the founders most of the time are young um, and you know if you've you know if you've done this one startup and it failed um, you're going to try again and again and again and obviously it could be it could be like your third time founder or fourth time founder and having that community around you um, that can help a lot in terms of you know scaling your network or even finding the right members uh, in your startup in your company or even find a co-founder, right? Uh, because that's another very, very important uh, choice that you have to make. Yeah, man. So like you mentioned, you only need to be right once in a startup. I mean, you can try and fail. And often people say you've got to fail fast and then you can just move on um, to the next project or fail quickly so that you can learn and innovate and pivot if you need to, if, you, if you're if you especially in the young startup. So that's pretty interesting. I'm really glad to hear that WeWork's still around. There was some kind of worry at the end of last year that it might you know, completely go under um, and uh, it managed to survive, which is pretty good. How is the atmosphere in terms of uh, the day-to-day environment in in WeWork now? Does it seem pretty pretty solid, pretty happy, pretty upbeat like normal? Um, I think it is. Um, so I'm more exposed to talking to um, startups and, uh, you know, talking to residents there and talking to founders. Um, and to me, startup founders... Um, they are the most enthusiastic group of people out there because everybody is so crazy about their own idea and everybody's so light up and, you know, so pumped up and then they all want to go and fight um, for it. So I think it's a, like myself, it's just a great environment to be, uh, you know, to be in, to be around it. Um, so um, we've seen, you know, massive companies fail, right? So everybody, especially now that, you know, early on in the podcast, we've, uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, the, the Black Monday, right? Uh, but um, you know, we all probably remember the the Lemon Brothers and how it was it was a huge bank, at, you know how how it, you know went bankrupt. Uh, and obviously, you know, tiny companies die every day. So I think that if uh, you know, if even if it's not a we work, right? If it's uh, you know, if it's going to be something else, we or not even we, maybe us. It's going to be us work. Um, it's not, it's a bad name, probably bad branding, right? Um, as work, but, um, uh, I think the entire idea of, uh, you know, like working together and just like co-working space, um, it's has been changed forever now. Um, and obviously there's, there's, there's a lot of other co-working companies out there. So probably the winner is going to be the one that would be able to, uh, really, really settle down the community around them, which, uh, which probably is what the, you know, we work labs is for. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, that was really interesting. Kate, do you, you sound like you've got a, a last question or two? Or? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's just uh, what you mentioned earlier with WeWork is that it's um, when you're around other people, like other founders and other interesting people, it's kind of like 
Uh, it kind of reminds me of like maybe why some people go to the Ivy League. They go there because of the professors, because they start companies with their with their fellow students. And this is like a post college way to really be connected with other people and maybe find some good people for your company. But yeah, that's all I really wanted to say. Oh, that's a good point. I agree with that. Um, people go to these bigger unis for the alumni, right? And honestly, you can kind of find these types of people hanging out at places like. We work, and I mean, one of the reasons that I was looking into doing um, a boot camp myself. Have you, you might have heard of the Le Wagon boot camps that are around the world. They're in like forty different yep. places, and it's not necessarily to learn any of the technology. It's more for the access to the alumni that you get after graduation. So that's type of that type of network and that type of community is really important, and it's really good to see that We Work Lab is focusing on building that out, which is pretty cool. All right. Well, I've got to say, Anton, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I mean, honestly, it was a a very wide ranging um, series of topics that we got into. We talked initially about Black Monday and then also you work as CTO and um, VP of technology and, for Humanic. Free diving and Canada and Ukraine. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we went all over the world today. <laughs> Absolutely right. I hope you enjoyed being on the dark side of the hodl moon. Um, Cade, do you want to uh, – oh, actually, Anton, do you have anything – some more stuff that you want to talk about before yeah. we wrap hey, this up? Yeah, you, any final thoughts or any places where you're going to be featured in the future or any uh, contact stuff you want to put? We can put it in the show notes as well. Uh, no, I mean, uh, it was it was so much fun. I really um, enjoyed our conversation today. Um, and I think that um, it's actually great what the, you know what three of us are are doing here today, uh, because once again, you just have to step outside of our crypto bubble to realize how small it is and bubble like not in a bad way in in any way. Um, what I'm just trying to say is that this is something that can really help everyone. And I know that you know our listeners today. That's that's how you learn things. Uh, I mean, it's not boring, and obviously, I hope we were not boring. Obviously, um, but uh, you know, myself, uh, I wouldn't enjoy listening to myself. But uh, I don't know many people who love listening to themselves. But uh, listening to your podcast here definitely brought some, you know, some thoughts to me. So something that I'll try out in the future. Um, yeah, well, nice. definitely nice. Well, we're definitely trying to expand the crypto bubble ourselves with Dark Side of the Hollow Moon. If we get more listeners, we're doing our small spot to make the uh, crypto bubble kind of explode, hopefully, in in 2020. Right. Hopefully well, explode in a good way, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, explode, explode in a good not way. implode. That's the main thing. We're going to go to the moon <laughs> and we're all good. <laughs> all right, nice. let's wrap it up there. So, Kate, you want to do the awesome. sign off? And then thanks for coming on the show, Anton. Yes. And we'll see you yeah. all next week. So, Kate, do the honors, yeah. bro. Yeah, Anton, Anton, it was great talking to you. I, I think Ethereum has bright things in its future. But as for Josh and I, we work in the cosmos inside our HODL lab on the dark side of, of the, the HODL, HODL moon. moon. Thank you for joining us on Dark Side of the HODL Moon. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Also, be sure to join our Telegram group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And follow us on BitChute and YouTube where you can find all the episodes as well as highlights from previous episodes. You can also visit us at darksideofthehodlemoon.com. Hodlemoon!